0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Right Click Radio, the podcast which puts NFTs in context and looks to address the latest trends in Web3 culture. I'm Alex Estrick, Editor-in-Chief at Right Click Save, and today I'm joined by Danielle King, CFO of Club NFT and former manager of painting and sculpture at MoMA. Danielle. Alex. What's been your main takeaway from the first month's articles?
1: Well, coming from the traditional art world, you know, I I worked in museums and galleries, uh, having things like Art Forum and Art in America, um, and then coming into this space, this NFT and, and generative art space. As a newbie, I really didn't see a whole lot out there in terms of um, criticism and putting things in context and, you know, in-depth articles uh, and interviews with artists. And RCS has delivered all of that really quickly. And so for me, uh, as someone who's trying to learn about this space, um, it's been really essential to have this resource. And I think even folks who've been in the space a long time are finding it really helpful and really interesting because there is... A real lack of, uh, of this type of writing out there for the digital art
0: world. I mean, I think obviously one of our priorities is to bridge these uh, communities which sometimes don't talk to one another. And that might be the core NFT community, um, but it might be the lay community of individuals from the traditional art world who are trying to break into the space but maybe don't have the literacy, in part because that language is still developing. And, and one of the things I'm, I'm very keen to do which is why we have a section of the the website called Genealogies, is to put NFTs and generative art and all of these new developments in historical and topical context. For example, I'm thinking of Av Maraccini's article about generative art, uh, which puts uh, the art of Zancan and uh, Matt Delorier uh, within a a long historical lineage of generative art, which dates back uh, to the 1960s. So for me, it's it's about giving the NFT community the, the respect it deserves, uh, but also, you know, being open to the outside world as we head into this you know expanded field of multidisciplinary art, which is Web3.
1: Yeah. And I think that it's doing that. I mean, I think. It really is important to put the art in context. Look at art history, um, but also acknowledge, you know, that a lot of the things that are being done have never been done before, and and how exciting that is, and that this, uh, you know, entire art world is still in the process of sort of forming, which makes it a really fun place to be. But also, I think, opens up the door for something like RCS to help people navigate it and understand it better, um, because you know, when I a few months back started my slow entry into this world guided by Jason Bailey, aka Art Gnome. So one of the best possible guides to the world, it was super overwhelming and confusing. Um, you know, between the lingo and you know, the fact that a lot of the discourse happens on Twitter or Discord. It it just isn't the easiest place to get your footing. And so RCS, I think, can help folks with that. And you know, even folks who Uh, are already deep in the space, I think, are benefiting from it. And and new discourse is coming up around the articles, which has been so fun to see people's response. And, you know, sometimes people are disagreeing, which I think is great.
0: I think, you know, that there's another element, isn't there, also, which is, um, I think, one of the things that this brave new world allows is a space for a new discourse to develop, which isn't so, that isn't plagued by art speak. Um, which I think has characterised contemporary art for a long time. And one of the ways we've been trying to uh, move towards maybe a more data-driven approach to a creative discourse is by including uh, expert analysis, both uh, regarding uh, data on the different marketplaces, which has shown how successful uh, generative art platforms in particular have been over the last year. I'm thinking of Kyle Waters' text, Data in the Year of the NFT, which really helped us to navigate all of the different marketplaces, what distinguishes them, but also what maybe a platform like Artblocks offers that some of the original NFT marketplaces haven't. And so I think one of the things we're trying to do is to put NFTs in context. But I think another thing is trying to acknowledge that we're also witnessing a, a golden age of generative art, which has harnessed the, the power of the NFT to commodify digital artefacts so that we now have this market for algorithmically produced works of art. And uh, although we've we've had this kind of work before, we've not had the ability to accelerate creativity, sales and so on in the way we are. So for me, there's there's something very exciting going on Uh, in the generative art space, I'm thinking of FX hash. And I'm kind of interested to see where that goes. I think that may be the story of the year. But at this early stage, it's still hard to tell.
1: Yeah, I mean, the pace at which this generative art uh, space moves is incredibly fast. I feel like if I miss a day, and and I'm away from my computer, so much has happened. And you wake up the next day and see you've missed out on what's probably going to be a masterpiece, you know? And the development of the market is, it's just, it's insane. And it's really fun and exciting to be a part of, and and to be honest, quite addictive. (laughs) Because, you know, unlike the traditional art world where things move really slowly, um, there's an intermediary, usually a gallerist or an auction house or, uh, you know, an art advisor in this space, it's collector to artist directly, you know, I've been DMing with artists. I chat with them on discord, you know, they'll uh, I've had artists, you know, when they see the output that I got on FX hash and being less than ideal, reach out to me and say, Hey, it looks like you got a a bad mint. Can I refund you? And I was just so floored by that. Not only the generosity of the gesture, but just that artists are so in touch with their collectors um, in a way that, I never saw in the traditional art world. Or if if there was that close relationship, it was because, you know, you were spending millions and millions of dollars on their work and uh, you know, you bought that access. I mean, these are in my case, small transactions, and yet I feel like I have relationships with some of these artists already. So it's it's really a lot of fun. It's really exciting. And I, I do think golden age is the right term because it it's the things that the people are doing, um, are pretty remarkable and I think still you it's accessible to folks who you know may not have the funds uh, or the wherewithal to enter the other types of the art world at this level so yeah I I I think I'm excited to see where we are in a year or so because I think it'll be you know even even more exciting and and possibly I'll be priced out at that point so I'm trying to enjoy it while I can (laughs)
0: It also reminds me of a text we did recently called uh, How NFTs Changed the Art World, which was a conversation between uh, one of the real OGs of the crypto space, Carlos Martial and Richard Endrup, who really brought Christie's into the digital age. And, uh, you know, having this conversation between two, two members of the NFT community, but perhaps coming from different corners of it, it really centered on the debate around democratization and decentralization, you know, and the the way the role of the artist has changed uh, in the last couple of years, uh, maybe as a result of the pandemic, which squashed our experience of images onto a digital plane. Right. Uh, Whether we were were trying to buy works of a traditional nature or whether we were trying to buy NFTs on a marketplace, uh, we were forced onto that uh, that digital platform. And uh, yeah, it it feels like as a result, There's a a really tight knit community that you speak of that is engaged at these drops in a very kind of energetic, creative, but also economic exchange. And one of the things that strikes me uh, that you mentioned is this idea that a lot of the artists in the NFT space are also collectors themselves. And that's something we saw, you know, in the early days at, for example, Super Rare, was this, this kind of almost a gift economy where you had artists and collectors buying from one another, but also sharing, enjoying the experience um, and also helping to fuel what seems to be a kind of gamification of the art world. Uh, so it seems to me it's like a really positive element to that marketplace or that, that, uh, that logic of the drop. But I think there's also a question which we need to address, which is like the The financialization of creativity that seems to have taken place, which of course is a liberating force for artists who have the literacy, who who feel part of the community. But of course, it could alienate those artists who maybe aren't so digitally native. And so, you know, we're seeing this uh, division between new and old worlds. I'm increasingly aware of the phenomenon of the traditional art world uh, being referred to as the legacy art world. And uh, I'm not sure I ever expected to see or hear that in my lifetime. It feels like you know this this uh, sea change going on, um, but it, yeah, I just wonder if, as someone who, who who collects themselves, how do you feel about that kind of gamification of the collecting process? Um, is it something that you that worries you, or is it something that maybe we just have to accept as is a, a fundamental part of this this new world?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it. Yeah, it is a fundamental part of this new world, and I think that artists are. Very aware of it and are very engaged with it. You know, I I see I see a lot of artists trying out different sales strategies uh, in order to avoid flippers getting the bulk of their work, for example, you know, so they'll try Dutch auctions or, you know, they'll have, you know, collectors of their prior works get first priority, um, things like that. And so I see them being really active and trying to figure out how to make sure their art gets to real collectors of their work and not people who are just looking for sort of a quick buck. And I, and like you said, I do see a ton of artists supporting other artists, which is so nice to see, you know, I look to what a lot of these artists buy and when I'm looking for new works and new artists to discover, um, to guide me. And, you know, I see the kinship they have with each other in these chats on discord and in, on Twitter. Um, They're really supportive. It's, it's a really nice vibe and not to say there aren't artists in the quote legacy or traditional art world that collect each other's work and are supportive, but you know, I think the elbows are a little more sharp there and uh, it's been nice to see the community here. Um, and, and like you said, I think a lot of it does have to do with the pandemic and the fact that, you know, everything is happening online and, um, you know, it's not about going to a gallery and, and rubbing elbows with the right people and, and whatever. I mean, um, you can have a real direct contact online with folks that, you know, are across the world, you know, which has been so cool. So yeah, I, I think it's just part of it. And I think that the, the artists are adapting to it and, um, and this, this market will, you know, unfold in, in the unique way, you know, that it will. So I'm, I'm not I'm not worried by it, per se.
0: I think one of the things, one of the quotes that struck me most from the text this month was uh, one of the first ones we published by Brian Fry, um, where he looks at the NFT market by comparison with the traditional art world and really doesn't see all that much difference. And I'm going to quote him now. He says, the conventional art market works the same way. Sure, if you buy a painting or sculpture, you get the painting or sculpture. But that's irrelevant. The art market doesn't value the object you own. It values what the object represents. What you're really buying is an entry on an artist's catalogue resume. So for me, that was a, that was a really profound statement because um, it kind of exploded this distinction or maybe this snobbery on the part of the traditional world that NFTs were something fundamentally uh, strange and negative. Uh, in actual fact, you know, if you hadn't historically had the uh, the estate of an artist verifying the work that you purchased, you hadn't purchased a valuable work. So I think, you know, the, one of the interesting things for me is is uh, the fact that uh, the NFT and the, the the consequent marketplace that has emerged allows us to reevaluate our understanding of art and really how close art and money have been throughout the history of art. So for me, that's exciting as, as an art historian myself, but also I think, I think it also begs the question of, of whether we're dealing with the emperor's new clothes. I mean, mm-hmm. clearly there are some fundamentally new things about NFTs, the ability ultimately to sell a digital artifact uh, and to have a digitally scarce object. Um, that's obviously fundamentally new, but I think perhaps maybe more interesting than that is what that allows in a creative sense for artists. I mean, one of the things we have to accept, and this is something that uh, Judy Mann stressed in one of our Twitter spaces, is that whether you like it or not, the fact that there's a market actually unlocks a load of creativity that wasn't previously being uh, distributed, shared and enjoyed. And I think there's, there's, you know, uh, coming from a maybe a kind of post-Marxist background, which is so central to kind of critical discourse in contemporary art. You know, we have to also accept that you know, without this market, we would also be poorer and we would, we wouldn't have seen some of these amazing creative works that we've encountered in recent years.
1: Oh, for sure. And I think that, uh, you know, something that is such an improvement for the artists is that in this space, they see a share of the secondary sales. I mean, the fact that throughout art history, that has not been the case and that most artists, you know, uh, who wind up being incredibly famous and their work sell for millions and millions at the auction houses, you know, they don't see any of that or they've died by the time that's happening. Um, these artists are getting to experience that upside now while they're living and while they need the money and, and it can help fuel their, you know, their future creativity. They can keep going as an artist rather than, you know, saying, okay, well, I give up. I, I'm not making enough money from this. I have to do something else. So I, I think that's huge. And, yeah. I mean, the marketplace is, of course, a part of it. And and I think, you know, what you were mentioning about the ties with the traditional art world and, and and you know, is this new clothes situation? You know, it, it is very similar. Um, you're buying in the in the traditional art world, a painting or a sculpture or whatever. And here you're buying an NFT, a digital work in both scenarios, you know, why are you doing that? Part of it is it gives you sort of membership in a certain club, right? Part of it is it's a part an expression of your identity, who you are, what you like. So that isn't different, right? You know, we're 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 looking for the same things. I just think in this space that it's open up to more people, you know, and and you're seeing things from more people, right? In the other art world. You really need to be in New York or London or L.A. Like there are these art scenes. Right. And if you're somewhere else in the world, you know, it's very hard as an artist or a collector to access that. And there are no geographical barriers in this world, which I think is super exciting.
0: Yeah. And that comes across in, you know, in in Jason Bailey's interview with Ozanachi in Nigeria. You know, that wasn't only an interview with Ozanachi, the artist. It was also, you know, an interview with Ozanachi, the curator, who's introducing... The, the NFT space, to a generation of new Nigerian crypto artists who we previously didn't know about. Carlos Martial is a similar conversation in, in, in Mexico. I think there's a, a tendency in the traditional uh, art world to view the global south as just another new market. But I think what you see with, with artists like Carlos and, and Ozanachi is this, uh, in, in Carlos's words, I am the platform. And you're starting to see crypto become a, a tool of, sovereignty. Um, And of course, that's an argument that's that's trotted out by uh, the more techno libertarian community. But I think it is something that we need to watch. Um, I think it's also something maybe we need to be sceptical about, you know, are we dealing with a fundamentally new form of economy, you know, where uh, more artists are earning a living wage from their work? I think that is the case. Um, The data suggests so. But I think we also need to remain sceptical about the capacity of old world actors to turn web three into some version of web two. I think also, you know, we, we published a couple of texts this week, maybe on the more niche side uh, to do with AI. I'm thinking of Beth Joachim on uh, quantum computing. I'm thinking of Luba Elliott uh, on clip art, different niche AI creative communities who I've been very interested in for a long time, but for whom the NFT allows this newfound exposure. And I think it's really interesting just from my perspective as an editor to bring these different communities and conversations together, which maybe previously have been distinct and separate.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I'm learning a ton, the, those articles on, on AI and things like that. That's an area where I hadn't really, you know, done much research or, or read a lot. And it was very eye-opening for me. And I assume there are other folks, you know, maybe folks who are really invested in generative art or folks who are, you know, really into the PFP scene or whatever, where, you know, they might stumble across those articles on RCS and and it opens their eyes to this whole other aspect. Similarly, the article on Hawala and and sort of it being the precursor to all of this, that was so fascinating to me. You know, I had, Sort of, per, I knew what halal was, but I hadn't ever thought about or, or read into um, the ties between that and the blockchain. And it was so illuminating and and so well written. So I, I think there are so many um, things that we all have to learn, right? And, and and that are exciting to learn about. And and you make new connections. And again, I said earlier, some things you may not agree with, or or it may not be your cup of tea, but I do think having this wide variety of voices and topics is really great because there's a little bit something for everyone. And even if you think something isn't for you, you might find out that it actually is.
0: <laughs> I mean, we were very lucky to get uh, Mega uh, to write that uh, genealogy, that Hawala genealogy of NFTs. Um, and I, I think one of the things that you know, matters a lot to me is that one of our priorities at RCS is presenting all of the different kinds of narrative appropriate to NFTs and it seems to me you know as someone who's studied you know Byzantine art you know the most unattractive you know area of study you know it's remarkable to me also how relevant those Byzantine token economies are to an understanding of NFTs today so I think for me one of the things NFTs and uh, medieval art share is uh, generally how uh, unpalatable they are to the traditional art world so maybe there's a kind of resistance um, that's emerging on RCS uh, to those traditional narratives I'd like to think so I think it's also just worth pointing out that we've received so many proposals for articles and ideas for text which we hadn't considered from our community and I, I, both through discord and uh, via email to me I've been really struck by the wellspring of interest in turning NFTs into a critical discourse. And it seems to me that although there's been a huge amount of great writing so far, um, there's also an urgency about putting some of these ideas uh, into print, which maybe has been lacking up to now in the NFT space. So I, I'm I'm keen to introduce this new uh, section of the website, which is called Community, which is our space for articles proposed and submitted by our community because I think maybe in the past there's been a kind of paternalistic attitude to art journalism where you know this kind of cultural elite dictates the terms of the discourse to a community Uh, but I I certainly am determined that it's going to be a two-way street and a conversation rather than just uh, that kind of old model.
1: I love that and I think some things I would love to hear uh, or see, you know, I see some artists posting on Twitter or Discord or on their own websites, so sort of deep dives into how their work is creative. And as a person who is completely not tech savvy, <laughs> it's been such an education to read how these generative works are made. I mean, I understand maybe half of it, but uh, I think people who have more of a tech background, eat that up and, and love seeing the behind the scenes work that, that these artists do. Um, sometimes it includes preliminary sketches and and all these different things. And, you know, I think that's one area where it would be great to have some artists, uh, if they're interested, weigh in um, and, and talk through how they do their work. Because I also see a lot of times the artists learning from each other. You know, sometimes one of them will post that they're having a struggle with some certain technological thing in their programming and another artist will Help them out. So I, I think that community section could be a great place for for content like that, among other things. You know, I, I think it would be exciting to see anything folks want to submit and talk about.
0: Yeah, it was a real privilege. We had uh, Marcelo Soria Rodriguez uh, submitting a, a, an essay about his work, but also situating his work in context. And one of the things that was very striking there was how sometimes it takes the artist to walk us through their actual working practice for us to gain an understanding of how it works. Uh, you know, I'm not uh, the world's greatest coder. Um, so for me, you know, it's very important to have this kind of technical explanation uh, in order to, to be able to really, I guess, value the quality of this art. And I think one of the things about NFTs so far is, you know, whether we like it or not, the market has been so driven by hype. Uh, but I wonder whether, you know, over time, hopefully we can kind of recalibrate that value system towards something that's, that's more about, the actual skills that underpin this brave new world of art.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you do see that when these artists um, or the you know non-artist coders are digging into some of the code behind these artworks, you, know, you see these chats in Discord where they're saying, wow, this one's really complex and it's doing this new thing that I've never seen before. Um, and so to them, the value of the art goes up because of the skill and the originality of what the artist is doing. And I wouldn't know that without these people explaining it to me or an artist explaining it to me. So yeah, I think I think that's gonna be something going forward that's gonna become more and more a part of the discourse because it is important, right? You know, it, it, you want to collect art that appeals to you, um, you know, the visual, the end, output obviously is important but with this digital art what's behind it is also important and for folks like me who (laughs) need a little hand holding on that I think these explainers from the artists are so valuable.
0: I just want to thank Danielle King for uh, speaking with me today and just to remind everyone that RCS will be publishing three articles on a Monday as our regular drop and then as many other articles a week as we can Uh, We're trying to populate the website as much as possible with as wide a variety of content uh, that we feel best reflects the variety of our community. So thanks for listening and see you next time.
1: Thanks for having me, Alex.